Merry Christmas, Dean I fam. Tony and my sunflower back with you from our little studio, Mission Bible Church in rainy Orange County, California today. And we get to do another Christmas yeah, episode. the rain kind of helps it feel a little more Christmassy, all Christmas, all the time here, folks. Oh, I love it. So before we jump in, thanks to Cheyenne Jameson, super kind review, and to everyone else who's been reviewing. She says, amazing. I listen to my walks in the morning and get so many nuggets of wisdom from you all backed by scripture. This has been much needed and I encourage everyone to listen. Oh, Cheyenne, thank you for being part of the community. We are truly, truly humbled to do life with you. That's right. And some exciting news for all the ladies out there. March 9th, 2024, three months from now, we're going to be hosting a women's tea and the Aaron Coates will be here teaching and Brie, you will be sharing also. So it's going to be a very special morning. I cannot wait. Erin is such a special woman of God and I mm. just know everyone will love her as much as I do. Yeah, and spots on that are very limited. So jump on missionbible.org, click on the event page in RSVP. That's March 9th again. We're looking forward to seeing you. Woohoo! By the way, what do you call a bankrupt Santa? What? A Saint Nicholas. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Dealing with family feuds this Christmas. Let's roll. All right, so any 90s kid, my love, knows Home Alone. I know you're a 90s kid, so you do. (laughs) There's a famous scene. Remember Kevin, Macaulay Culkin, tries to hit Buzz, his older brother. Remember the big dude? Totally. And he ends up spilling the milk, and it causes this chain reaction, and then Uncle Frank just rips him, and the whole family kind of mag-dogs him. They kind of like like pause for like a few seconds. Do you remember that scene? I felt so bad for him. So well done. And we have that clip, so I'm going to play it real quick. So Ethan's going to play it. You all right? What is the matter with you? He started it. He hit my pizza on purpose. He knows I had sausage and olives and Look what you did, you little jerk. Oh, so mean. (laughs) It's like silence, right? For 15 seconds. Yeah, now this is not an endorsement for Home Alone. Um, but that scene typifies, I think, what so often happens at big family gatherings. I mean, you don't have the big, like, look what you do, little jerk stuff, but some kind of statement, innuendo, sarcasm, or microaggression that sends somebody home in pain, right? Totally. And it doesn't matter how loving the family is. It's just part and parcel of putting a group of people together in the room in a new context for long periods, often with insecurities and complex histories. And alcohol gets thrown in, which we'd recommend steering clear from, especially if you're concerned about your witness and unsafe friends and family and kids and all that, because alcohol can exacerbate these things quite a, a bit. All to say, big family gatherings are a complex environment with a ton of moving parts. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we want to enter these situations prayed up and planned up on how to best exude Christ-likeness. It's not fake. It's it's just going into that day the same as any other. James 4 says, we don't want to go into situations with pride, but humbly asking what is God's will for each part of my day and then praying that the Holy Spirit help you do it. Amen. And let me add, just because we have professing Christian relatives, that doesn't guarantee smooth sailing. I mean, all of us can testify. And mm-hmm. sadly, even with ourselves, it can be Christians who get the most judgmental or legalistic or opinionated, making everything stuffy and yes. a bit hurtful. So whether your Christmas is more secular or more Christian or some kind of mixture of the two with Uncle Frank smoking on the porch, Grandma Myrtle singing hymns at the piano, a blue light of football blinking in the background, tinge of sarcasm about the height of your heels, and an evil glare when Tommy Jr. doesn't do a belly flop on the paleo stuffing or whatever. (laughs) No family's perfect. We're all trying to shine in the dark corners. So we're just going to lay out a few principles today and practices that we have tried over the years when it comes to holidays. And we're still figuring this out. So as always, eat the meat, spit out the bones. Yeah. Well, especially at Thanksgiving and Christmas. (laughs) 
Let's lay out the biblical principles up front here, my love. And this is just about perspective. I think because there's often a picture in our mind that Christmas like should look like a certain way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of traditional Christmas. Nat King Cole, a fire, warm turkey, kids playing tile rummy quietly, partridge in a pear tree. But that's just not real life. And often family discord is more heightened during holidays. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to make light of it. The reality is many of you listening will be in very intense, very difficult, and even hurtful situations when spending time with family, especially if they don't align with your faith or values. So a major principle here, and we touched on it last week, is trying to view our interactions with family, even the tough ones, not as inconveniences, but as opportunities to dwell on Christ and act more like him. And this sounds basic, but it's the idea of when we're facing a bitter brother, a transitioning niece, a divisive grandfather, we can stop and remember that this is an example of why Mm. Jesus came. And in those tough moments, we can praise the joy of Christ, incarnation, him coming to earth, which will immediately drive us to greater dependence on him. Because without Jesus, we can do nothing, John 15, 4 and 5, but with him, we have all that we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3. And when we're humble and pray, asking for wisdom and how to respond under tough circumstances, he does promise to supply wisdom, James 1, 5 and 6. Amen. And this will lead naturally to a greater gratitude in Jesus's coming. Because when we're faced with the inarguable brokenness of this world, Jesus's joy and peace become so much more dear to us. And we can take our worried, frustrated, and insecure thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, ultimately ending with thanksgiving that he would humble himself, Philippians 2, become like us and save us. Which then naturally compels us to pray for the people we're with. Like instead of them being foes or rivals in our mind, um, or people we have to be with, we begin seeing them as people who need God like we do. So if they're a Christian, we can pray that they grow in their knowledge of Christ. Or if they're not a believer, then we can pray their eyes are open to sin, death, judgment, and Christ being the light of the world. Amen. Which will quickly make us set our hope on Jesus' return. And even when the talks are awkward or the air filled with a bit of tension, we can still celebrate the baby who came in a manger, will return as a king. And even as we look back, we also look forward to when he makes all things new, Revelation 21. And that, that is what produces a deep and abiding hope, 1 Peter 1.13. And this hope does not disappoint. All of which recalibrates our heart before the big family dinner, before walking in to hug the in-laws, before hearing the sarcasm from Uncle Frank or getting the glare from Aunt Matilda, because we've rejoiced in Christ, prepared our mind in Christ, and looked forward to the return of Christ, so we're ready. Acknowledging how kind the Lord was to give this opportunity to grow in our resemblance of Him and to be a light to lost and hurting people. Amen. Okay, so let's slide over and talk practicals here, my love. Yes, because assuming we're prayed up and our hearts are right, there's a few things we can try just so we're heading into things with a game plan. And I think one of the biggest ones is just, and this is a big one for Tony and Bree, is planning ahead. Like deciding in January of the current year what the plan is going to be for the holidays next year. And here's the reason, what I mean by that is like, if it's December and then you get to January, you actually plan in January and inform people 10 months out about what you guys are thinking for the next one. So once it's fall, everyone's thinking holiday. Here's the issue. Once it's fall and everyone's thinking holidays, the invitations are all flowing in from various family members. Expectations are set. So they're already dreaming up like, hey, my home's going to look a certain way. These people are going to walk in wearing these kinds of sweaters and there's going to be music playing and like they, they have it pictured in their mind. So at that point, emotions are involved for your mother, for your grandmother, your auntie, whatever it is. And a decline at that point or a change of plans can be a whole lot more difficult to swallow. Whereas if we reach out to relatives a year in advance and explain what the goal for the next year is based on schedules, multiple family members, typically it's a non-issue because they know it's a thoughtful plan and not personal. Typically. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I found in counseling, this can be a major blessing, just this truth for young couples, because typically in the first years of marriage, there's an attempt to visit and please like everybody. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you end up with three, four, five. I heard one couple, it was like 10 gatherings. There's so much travel and tension and tears. But if the couple alerts everyone a year out on which house they can do based on rotation, letting people know why they're doing it so they can be in quote joyfully present and all that, most of the time the relatives will understand. And another one is ahead of time. Spend a few minutes thinking about how you plan to behave. Mm. And this is just reflecting back on past experiences, people that will be there processing what steps you can take to change the dynamics of the situation. Yeah. And that one I think can be super practical, like where you're going to sit when you arrive, the questions you're going to ask. I mean, these are things that they sound corny, right? What you're going to do if the kids act out, the time you plan to leave, or even like where you're going to focus your conversational energies on. Yes. What you said there, planning to leave is super helpful for couples because there needs to be some alignment on times, especially when the children are young. Mom's dealing with diapers, feedings, naps, and bedtimes. And there's nothing that adds stress like a two-year-old getting <laughs> tired. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, you're, you're sitting over there with the guys watching the football game and she's having to, to wrangle, you know, terrible Tommy. Yeah. We terrible always Tommy. had, <laughs> if your son's name is Tommy, it's just purely an analogy. Yeah. We always had planned times. And I, even if things began to leak over, I remember we used to like kind of communicate via eye contact. Like it was like we were letting each other know, is this a level 10 or a level four and kind of where we're at. So yeah. And typically one spouse will feel more comfortable than the other, depending on Mm -hmm. whose home they're at, what the history's like, and how long they've been in the family. Yeah, that's true. And different families operate at different paces. You go to some families, it's like, hey, dinner's done, two hours is over, let's go home. Other families, it's like, let's just be here for four days. Another practical idea is planning conversation topics. And I know this sounds uber corny, like who has a checklist? Who needs a checklist of things to talk about? But... Everyone knows how awkward it can be making small talk with someone you only see once every couple years and how dangerous topics like politics can be, especially not uh, nowadays with everyone polarized, social media, war in the Middle East. So it, it can be so wise to have a list in your mind that you can broach with people. And one thing you've always taught me is to ask what based questions because they require mm-hmm. open answers. Uh, yep. Super like if helpful. you're with Uncle Bob. You know, and one of your topics is sports. Instead of asking if he likes the Dodgers, that's just a yes or no answer. Ask him what he's enjoying about the Dodgers this year. And then that naturally forces a comprehensive answer. And then do active listening. Yeah, listen to his answer and then look for nuances to pull on, like little threads, you know. Well, I'm always a Mookie Betts fan, but we just got to get some pitching because Kershaw can't close in the playoffs, right? Well, (laughs) grab onto any one of those threads and ask another what, why question. You know, what is Kershaw's challenge? Before you know it, Uncle Bob feels good because he's the Dodger expert. I'm always amazed watching you do that. (laughs) The point is that there, see, I'm so boring that I'm trying to do anything I can to keep people from asking me questions because I have no answers, right? That's So I'm just asking question after question after question because I want to eat my food and I have nothing to say. The point is that there are topics which may seem innocuous to us, but we all know could upset other people. Like, you know, don't do, hey, do you have a girlfriend yet? Or uh, when, when are you starting a family? Or is that house affordable for you guys? Because even when we don't mean to, we're actually harming relationships with like this emotional subterfuge. Totally. So important. A fourth practical is try to dodge debate. And I think you can add more to this point, my love. Why do you say that? Are you saying I have opinions? <laughs> that my family has opinions? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just the woods tend to what we'll call engage with each other. It's kind of always been that way. I think some families or family members enjoy that. 
it's kind of like just a, you know, an objective repartee, depending on the culture, the education or whatever. But I also think there are many who don't handle arguments well. And often microaggressions kind of carry over long after the seemingly innocent talk is over. Just to say that if you know Aunt Matilda's views are going to force the room into kind of a tit for tat on some unanswerable philosophy or whatever, it can be often best to just make a joke and avoid. Is that hard to do? Um, it can be, unless we're self-deprecating. Like, you know, just just be ready with your your joke. You know, I've never met an opinion I didn't like, so I'll stay out of this one. Or, hey, I'll give the fam a break from my preaching again this year and then just quickly exit stage left. I love it. And we already mentioned this, but when it comes to alcohol, et cetera, ask, although this is not sinful, will it be beneficial? Mm-hmm. And we want to be clear that the Bible never forbids alcohol, but it does speak often about the dangers of alcohol, especially for people in areas of authority or who have a tendency to fall in this area. Yeah, and we get it. It's cool to fill the glass, make the toast, tip it back, but it's so easy to lose track of how much you're drinking and alcohol tends to swing a personality to extremes, whether that's combative on the one side or self-pity on the other. And I We've never seen it add to a family gathering party or date in a constructive way. And if there's anyone who's trying to curb their habit or addiction, we want to be a source of strength for them and a mm-hmm. model, not a temptation or weak spot. And a fifth idea is to participate in traditions. Yay! And yeah, my wife has a few. <laughs> this one can be a big deal for more conservative or, you know, reform circles like ours, because if we came out of the world or some false kind of, you know, unquote Christian system, our relativity spectrum can easily swing way over into cage stage for a while to the point that we don't know how to operate in general holiday settings. And I've been there. I mean, to the point that I remember one Christmas, it was like, forget the whole thing. We're going to yeah. Skid Row. And I'm not even sure we had a Christmas tree that year. I think it was a little Chris, Charlie Brown Christmas tree. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. We had the little, which is funny because it's like, hey, we're not going to do a tree. We're going to do an anti-tree. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, that's normal. When we wake up to the truth and we have little ones, especially, we want to regulate the home. And we're not sure really what's tradition and what's a trap. So we grow wary and certainly go with your conscience here. But remember that for some people, traditions are very, very important in their home. Like you may find it weird that your in-laws, I don't know, have everyone every year to the same cabin to eat the same food. And the night always ends with a song and pin the tail on the donkey or whatever. Pin the tail on the donkey. (laughs) It's a new Christmas tradition, okay? But try to be patient, play your part, and in the long run, you'll find that the bonds will grow with that family. Would you say it's wrong to participate? No, not generally, so long as something isn't outside of God's will as prescribed in the Bible. And for that reason, an issue of conscience, we might as well relax and rejoice. God's not offended by hot cocoa and pin the tail on the donkey (laughs) or whatever. Okay, one more is don't expect perfection. And Mm. this one's close to my heart because I used to get easily hurt when the smallest things don't go right or I felt my food didn't add up to my older sisters. I don't think it ever will and that's okay. Mm. Or I said something that sounded dumb because I do that often, but we need to ease up on ourselves. Hey everybody, if you ever want to hear my wife be funny, ask her if she can tell you a Joke. Oh dear. Then you get to see just how funny she is. Oh dear. That's like my worst nightmare. It's making me hot and sweaty thinking mm. about it. Okay. No, the day won't be exactly as we planned. And that's not bad because it's exactly how the Lord planned. 
So good. Often the things that go wrong make for the best memories. That They really do. Mm-hmm. That last one, number seven, right back where we started is find reasons to be grateful. Meaning just look around at the people, at the food, at the big things, at the small things. Be thankful. Yeah. And we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. This one I got from my parents. They used to tell us there's always, always, always something to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. And it's true. Paul said, what do you have that you've not been given? We didn't choose our parents, the country we're born in, our education, salvation, even our spiritual gifts, even the opportunity that we have in this life largely are based on where and how we grew up. So be thankful when you don't travel. Be thankful when you do travel. Be thankful when you're with family or not with family and with friends. Be thankful that there's electricity, running water, one more draw of air into your lungs, money to pay the bills, the cry of an infant, even their cute little fingerprints on the newly cleaned windows or sliding doors. I miss those so much. And when they grow and they spread their wings, all of this and heaven to come. Yeah, there is just something about gratitude that really does change our attitude as we really grab onto the things that matter most are able to appreciate the Lord and adopt his heart. So good. So there it is. A few principles and practices, Lord willing, that can encourage us all heading into time with friends and family and protect us from some family feuds. Plan ahead, plan conversation, dodge debate, don't drink, participate in traditions, don't expect perfection, and find multiple reasons to be thankful. And love, what do Santa's little helpers learn in school, by the way? What? The alphabet. (laughs) I love your dead jokes. (laughs) Well, Heavenly Father, we have only a few days left now until we celebrate the arrival of your son. Help our hearts to be set on Christ, on him and him alone, on his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection, on the ultimate gift that he is. And help us to love our families over ourselves, we ask in his name. Amen. Amen. We love you, Date Nighters. Thanks to Ethan, our producer, the entire team here at Mission Bible. Please track us down on Instagram. And until next time, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. Elf a bit. Thank you.